Welcome to episode 102 of Frank Reactions, the podcast where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. This is a special episode brought to you in collaboration with the Marketing Research and Intelligence Association, otherwise known as MRIA, and it's about data. So it's not specifically customer experience, but about how looking at data differently and combining data sets can really help you. In this case, the one that these guys were presenting about, it was about fighting crime, but it can really help you improve customer experience as well. So I think it's really worth your while to spend a few minutes and listen to this one. The speakers were Chris Andrechuk and Stefan Contre from the City of Edmonton on a project that they did on the contextual analysis of crime. Crime obviously perks up here. Contextual analysis, eh, maybe not so much. But uh, it was a fascinating talk that they gave recently at the MRIA, Marketing Research and Intelligence Association, in Edmonton, Alberta. And basically what they did in this study is used a whole bunch of different data sources, everything from where stolen cars are found through to where park benches or picnic tables are located. And they discovered through machine learning and combining all this data that there were particular patterns that were predictive of crime and it would help them focus on where they needed to direct activities to try and lower crime rates, but before the crime happens instead of afterwards. So enjoy the interview. It's a relatively short one, and I will chat with you briefly at the end. My name is Stefan Contre. I'm the Chief Analytics Officer for the City of Edmonton, and I currently lead the Analytics Center of Excellence. Our mission at the Analytics Center of Excellence is to actually enable data-driven decision-making at the City of Edmonton, and we work with frontline business areas to solve real-world problems using data and analytics. We're also mandated with looking at analytics culture, so we don't want to be the only ones to do it. So we uh, encourage business areas to start their own analytic projects, and we help them and foster them through those uh, different projects. And of course, Edmonton also has the whole open data thing. So does that come out of your unit? or? Yes, I'm part of a bigger area or a branch at the city that's called Open City and Innovation. Okay. Certainly, open data is part of that, a huge part of how we do connect with our citizens using data. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was used in this project as well quite a bit. And you are? Chris Andrejczyk. So I'm the supervisor of community safety with the city. Um, The most recognizable chunk of my position is supervising the neighborhood empowerment team, which is the social work, police officer, youth work uh, collaboration. Um, The other portion, which is a large portion, though, is project management and support around uh, projects. So things that come through city council uh, or things that come from the community that are community safety related. So everything from the uh, suicide reduction barriers on the high-level bridge to concerns around needles, uh, sexual exploitation, uh, even as far as uh, uh, countering violent extremism uh, lately. Hmm. Okay. So now your challenge is to try and explain your project without any visuals <laughs> in a way that people can grasp on a, on a recorded interview. So I don't know how you want to approach this, but... Sure. Okay. So we, you know, uh, and the neighborhood empowerment team has been in existence for over two decades. Uh, we have been fueled, our operations been fueled by a number of different pieces of information, a number of different approaches. And, and really, you know, at the base level, the aspiration was to move ourselves uh, in a way that is truly preventative in Edmonton. So not to direct our operations based on crime that happened yesterday, but to think about context and to think about community and think about 
you know, the, the places that crime happens in and, and why it happens there and to uh, allow that to drive our team's uh, efforts in, in neighbourhoods. So we reached out to the Analytic Centre of Excellence uh, with this conundrum and, uh, you know, in, in a short period of time, uh, built this model, the contextual analysis of crime. So the conundrum was that you didn't want to be reactive. You didn't want to say, OK, crime happened here. Let's go in and do something. You wanted to say, how can we prevent the crime in the first place? Precisely. And it's just really a small observation. You know, I would do talks like this and we talk about having a preventative approach, but I know that when we'd start a lot of projects, we'd look at where crime was right. to determine where our actions should be. So we wanted something, uh, an operations plan that was consistent with our communication strategy. So to truly be preventative in the city. Okay, so how did you approach then tackling that problem? So from an analytics point of view, uh, certainly uh, Chris and his business team had ideas of what they wanted to, to see. And in this case, it was a very interesting project in that they wanted to know not only where and when crime was happening, but also why. Mm -hmm. So based on that, we first had to do our methodology. We have a five-step uh, process that we do when we engage with frontline business areas. We first have to define the problem, which we did with Chris, and he just explained what that was. Mm -hmm. We then need to acquire data that will necessary to answer the questions we're looking for. We spend a lot of time preparing the data. We model it using advanced analytics. And finally, we take those results and interpret it back with the business. So in this case, that led us to looking at about 233 distinct layers, anything from demographics around the city to where trees are, to where schools are located, looking at all of that in context and see how that correlates with either high level or low levels of crime across the city. Now, the insightful thing about this is that that makes a lot of data. So we all fed this to a very sophisticated rule inducer. So that's a machine learning algorithm. So a computer looks for patterns for us and then gives us insight. And in, the, in this case was in the form of 92 rule sets or significant crime patterns. So give us an example of what sort of rule set would be like what sort of variables are included in there. Yeah, I think that the, so there's 92 of them with varying level of confidence. But, you know, the one I I would reference the one that I gave in the presentation. So, you know, where you find a high concentration of recovered stolen autos, a high concentration of noise complaints, a high concentration of youth centers in the city, coupled with a low density of, of picnic sites. Uh, that, that's highly correlated with property crime in the city. Okay. So in the conversation after your presentation, people were saying, okay, so high density of youth centers cause or effect. <laughs> what are your comments on that? Uh, neither. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a com <laughs> it's a conversation starter with community. So what, you know, that that's where, um, you know, you hand the information to the people who are on the ground mm -hmm. and it starts the discussion in, in, in the community, both with those who are impacted by these rule sets or those who can have impact. So, you know, for youth centers, for instance, we would be looking at connecting with administrative staff as well as the, the youth who are um, participating in using the centers to talk about this very thing. And, you know, it sounds silly, but we would start the conversation that way. Uh, we have this very sophisticated analysis that says this is irrelevant. You know, tell me about your experience. You know, what, what, is this, what does this mean to you? And so what happens when their experience doesn't jive with what your dad is telling you, or has that happened? It has, and, and that's where we build, uh, you know, that's where we build a strategy around it or, or a plan. So uh, an example, um, our team was uh, focused on this very rule set during the one-year pilot and recovered stolen autos was just the tip of the iceberg. Really what it turned out to be is the recovered stolen autos uh, turned out to be uh, the result of dial-a-dopers from the West End. So they're actually running drugs from the West End into this community and dropping their car there. So, you know, that's a, a really good way that, to highlight that if we were just went at 
after towing cars, we would have missed the boat. Right. Uh, you got to speak to community. And, and they said, well, yeah, this is so obvious. This is, this is where the cars are dumped after. So it was really a drug issue that we were after, uh, not one of, uh, of vehicles. Well, and that's such a great example, too, of how you need to blend the human element with the technology. Yeah. yeah. So the technology is, the data tells you one thing, but why still requires that human knowledge. You know, imagine starting a project and, and telling a police officer, a social worker, and a youth worker, you have to tackle the problem of picnic sites. Like it's, just, <laughs> it's just, it's silly. Like you, need to, yeah. you need to have that discussion and, and interact with people on the ground. Okay. And there's uh, some things that computers are really good at, like looking at vast amounts of data, like right. a human can't process that. Yeah. They definitely, computers are not at the point where they have the human insight. And we still need the, the experience, the subject matter expertise from frontline people uh, like Chris and his team to really interpret those results. Because without an interpretation from a subject matter expert, these results from data might be meaningless if they're not applied or used or actioned properly. Well, and if I understood you correctly, you were also saying those 223 or 33 data variables you were looking at, those came from human feedback in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, got absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah, that was part of the the initial stuff that we looked at to set it for the invented context. So. so, how did you do that? Well, we started with that literature review and looking at the things that are thought to drive crime in public spaces. And then when we got the list back, um, it you know it just didn't fully tell Edmonton's story. And that's when we spoke to Edmontonians. So we worked with the University of Alberta, McEwen, uh, the police internally here at the city, um, and, and just asked people what's missing. You know, what's missing from this list? What shouldn't be on this list? You know, rowdy teenagers, for instance, does that make good sense? Should we remove it? Uh, what, what could possibly be added? And that pushed us from a list of about 16, you know, from the, from the literature review to 233 assumptions from the community. The beautiful thing about this is we didn't have to be the goalkeepers, you know, right. quality <laughs> control, yeah. you know, in terms of what's relevant or, or, or what's not. That's where we allowed the algorithm to, to discern that. Another big yeah. part of that is as well, uh, we have to consider that there might be good indicators or good ideas of what could be, you know, like precursors to crime. Mm -hmm. But once again, if we're going to analyze it in a structured way, you still need a data source to represent that. Mm -hmm. right. So if, you know, there's something we don't have data on, we'd have to leave that out just by the fact that we can't analyze if we don't have data on that specific aspect. So were there particular variables that weren't in that original literature review thing that do turn out to be quite significant? Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, we, so, you know, we added, well, what's 16 minus 233? Like okay. Yeah. Quite a few, a few more. And, and, um, yeah, it, it, in the, in the combinations of the 92, there's a number of different variables, but all in common, like it's, you know, I really look at this stuff as storytelling. Those rule sets aren't just like picnic tables recovered. So not, there's a narrative there. Um, so there's, I think of it as 92 mini stories, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that gives our, our, our team a place to start the work. Well, and as you pointed out, it's not that picnic tables per se are any one variable. You said for any one variable, the correlation is actually quite low. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, it's usually in combination that we see there's uh, drastic patterns. Uh, based on that, we did uh, do a pairwise correlation uh, you know, across the city of what would be matched to either property or violent crime. Yeah. And even the highest ones are, are quite low in terms of correlation. It's when you start combining those factors together that you get a better picture of what might set the context for those kind of crime situations. Hmm. So how do you get this kind of tool adopted more widely? I mean, as you alluded to, you've got beat police officers who've been doing this for 30 years and they're convinced they know. How do you get people to accept that, gee, maybe we don't know as well as we think, or maybe there are better ways to approach this? 
I th- you know what? I, I think it's bigger than crime, and, and I would I would look to Stefan on this one. But like his, you know, the the this project started a lot of similar projects in the city. And I think it's about small and winnable. I think it's about really practicing that uh, uh, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. Um, use cases, get people believing in this stuff, allow them to see themselves in their project. You know, there's nobody here, I would imagine, in the audience today who works in the area of crime, but I guarantee that everybody saw themselves in this project and said, oh, if I only had this for my marketing thing or, you know, so it's just allowing people to see themselves. Yeah, we've just put our house on the market, and I'm thinking, ooh, to evaluate real estate values. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. yeah, yeah. dependent variable totally, that certainly totally. would, would would come in handy. Yeah, I think with uh, different business areas that we we deal with, certainly uh, change is always uh, you know intimidating for certain frontline right. workers. Yeah, uh, we do value the subject matter expertise, and that's essential to get a project, uh, data analytics project, to be successful. Yeah, we need that. But there needs to be like a certain awareness that's built initially with the team and we got to start slowly. And once they are aware, they need to have an understanding and then we can go to the next step of acceptance. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not done overnight and that's all about change management. Yeah. And we're finding out more and more that the analytics is the easy part. The hard <laughs> part is that other mm-hmm. part of changing uh, mentalities, culturally, how people handle stuff. Yeah. But like Chris said, I think that the best way to be successful in these projects is that we show a use case or something that, you know, was successful and people can, you know, identify with. Mm-hmm. And based on that, they see their own situations there and they say, well, I want to be part of that and I have my own ideas yeah. and then we can build success with them as well. Well, and you talked about starting with a pilot project and then a social return on investment mm-hmm. study yeah. that showed a dollar sixty for every dollar invested. Yeah. So what were they looking at? What led to that social return on investment? Yeah, well, that that was a contingent on, on the support for this project. So, you know, we were told that we, it, it uh, which makes sense, you know, that we had to do a pilot project it should be evaluated by a third party. And, and given uh, how new and, and kind of strange this project was, they thought <laughs> it was most appropriate to do an SROI. So uh, I'm not an expert in, in SROI, but, you know, it, it looked at some obvious factors, you know, is the community safety, uh, you know, what's crime like, um, but then I looked at things like neighborhood connectivity, you know, the sense of cohesion, et cetera, and that's how they arrived at that figure. So what did it, in that pilot project, what did it change in how you guys were doing things? Well, I think really, like, you know, we, we could talk about crime, we could talk about social return, but I think the, the biggest value was it changing the way that we think about crime and changing the way that we approach these types of um types of initiative questioning some of our assumptions uh, you know I've, I've been involved in a lot of projects where if it's a violent situation you say well it must be alcohol or it must be the bar or it must be mm-hmm. the pawn shop and you know that i think the biggest value of this project was really to, to call that into question and say well maybe you know and maybe not and you know now let's use this tool to check our assumptions to either firm or, or disprove them well, and you gave the example with the body rub parlors. Yes. That everyone gets up in arms with that being in their neighborhood, but you were saying they weren't associated. You know, we're not saying that they're incredible stewards of the community. <laughs> I, think, I think that, you know, if, but but it would be misleading to say that they're driving crime or that they're singularly driving crime you know, based on the findings of this. Very cool. Oh, I think it's so exciting what you're doing. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm not the world's greatest person at actually number crunching, but I've always loved what you can learn from data. <laughs> I love the power of it. So that's why having a partner like you would be amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that little peek into how complex data sets can actually help solve some of society's tricky problems. If you enjoy research, you might want to consider joining the Marketing Research and Intelligence Association 
or in the United States, what used to be called the Marketing Research Association, or CASRO, those two associations recently merged, and the new association is called the Insights Association. So if you're based in the US, you might want to check out that one as well. And I will be speaking in Toronto at the MRIA's 2017 annual conference, May 31st to June 2nd. So if you manage to make it out to that, or if uh, you live in Toronto and would like to connect in that rough time frame, give me a shout, Tema, T-E-M-A, at frankreactions.com. In the meantime, if you're not a regular listener to the Frank Reactions podcast, you might want to check it out on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. That's it for today. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.